Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. HPJC's president, Jeff Reese, is with us today. Next Gen America director, Cristina Sinsun Ramirez, is with us today. Trust Women spokesperson, Zach Gingrich Gaylord, visits and of course, we had to give you some truth about Afghanistan. Anyhow, Zach Gingrich Gaylord, Communications Director of Trust Women, speaks out against the new Texas anti-woman law t- taking effect recently. Zach visited with Politics Done Right to discuss the Texas draconian abortion law. He wanted to make it clear that it would have very damaging effects on women. He was speaking on behalf of the organization Trust Women. Jeff Reese, he's the president of Houston Peace and Justice Center. He appeared with us to discuss their great work and drive for new membership. He, he pointed out the purpose of the organization and much more. Many believed the trip by two congressmen from different, Democrat, from different parties, the Democratic and Republican parties, was ill-advised. Given misinformation about the August 31st exit from Afghanistan, their trip turned out to be very important. Why? They provided an objective assertion of the necessity of a quick exit instead of a prolonged quest to evacuate every person using our military. Cristina Sinsun Ramirez appeared on Politics and Right to discuss the issues of the day voter suppression infrastructure bill, next-gen America, and much more. Cristina is a civil rights leader, former U.S. Senate candidate, author, and community organizer, forging a better future for all Americans. Folks, we have a great show for you today. Do remember, we are in fun drive right now, but you are still getting yourself a great program uh, that we work at putting together for you. Stuff that you, some that you may know on a small level, some that you may not know at all. That's why we're here. Politics Done Right, KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston. We're asking you to invest in this community radio station. But why? Because, folks, there's a lot of media out there. But it's not media that you control. It's not media that has your interests at hand. When we're talking about community radio, when we're talking about this community radio station, KPFT 90.1 FM, 
we are talking about a station that is solely funded by whom? You. And if it is funded by you, our loyalty is to you. Most other stations, commercial stations, they're funded by their advertisers and their advertiser needs to program you. And they need to have you in a particular modal. That is why our politics is so bad. Because we need you uninformed. Politics done right doesn't believe in that. Politics done right, KPFT 90.1 FM, Pacifica Network, we don't believe that. We believe that it is essential that you are in control. It is essential that you support us so that we can feed the ethos that we can give, we can enlighten with what is the absolute truth. In that light, I'm asking you to please call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and support us. You can support us with a $25 membership, a $40 membership, or you can get any one of our gifts that you find there. Please do this in the name of Politics Done Right. Also, remember that you can get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is in, That is to support our station. And all those books, I promise you, give you all that you need to have that conversation across the board to ensure, to help us make a better America. So please support us. Please support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Call 713-526-5738 or visit kpft.org. In the name of Politics Done Right, please select one of our books, several of our books, or one of our offers. We're here for you. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright. On YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds, KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what? That nourishment that we need, 713-526-5738, kpft.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. We are with Zach Gingrich Gaylord from uh, Trust Women. 
Look, Zach, uh, you know what? Last night, we were waiting up until midnight to see if we we're going to get an injunction from the Supreme Court uh, because of the law passed in Texas. Why don't you first go ahead and tell us what is the problem with the law here in Texas? Uh, well, you know, right from our perspective in uh, Kansas and Oklahoma, you know, we're concerned with the amount of travel people are going to have to do uh, at the core of this law is really a, a troubling concept that uh, the best way to um, deal with, you know, deal with abortion care is to attack the networks of mutual support that people have. A lot of our patients really rely on their families, uh, their employers, you know, their churches to help support their choice to seek abortion care and to do fam just normal family planning. Um, around 80% of our patients are already parents, you know, so in order to travel 600 miles, 700 miles uh, from Texas to either our Oklahoma City or Wichita Clinic, they're going to need to rely on a lot of people to get there. And this uh, legislation directly criminalizes people's networks of supports. And that's just a really pernicious and cruel um, uh, way to uh you know, regulate something that's just basic healthcare function. It is interesting because the law that was passed here in Texas that that goes into effect today actually penalizes. Not, I mean, the way they wrote the law is to make sure that government was not really involved. So it's just yeah. people, as you just mentioned, the support system for these people are now held accountable and civilly liable for allowing or for helping a woman who may want to do her health care, in this case, an abortion. And, they're and, and the interesting thing about the law is if, if an Uber driver gets sued for taking a woman to an abortion clinic and the Uber driver said, well, really, all I did was transport this woman. I'm going to ignore that. That's a frivolous lawsuit. By default, the person who claimed he's involved wins the case. And he owes that person ten thousand dollars. Is right. that? It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of words to describe just how uh, out of bounds that kind of thing is. And and you know, it's not going to do what they you know ostensibly want to do. It's going to leave people uh, in further dire situations who can't afford to make that. Uh, travel arrangements, um, you know, people uh, who are able to access funds or networks of support, you know, it's going to severely disrupt their own lives as they try to uh, travel to Kansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, New Mexico, Louisiana, you know, all these different places. Uh, all while there's also, um, you know, we kind of tend to forget there's still an ongoing pandemic. And so putting people at further risk, um, uh, of either spreading or contracting or bringing back more COVID, you know, uh, it's just a highly irresponsible uh, uh, piece it of is, legislation. Yeah. It, is, it is crazy. Now, here it is now, two men talking about this issue that dramatically affects women. And we are cognizant of that. But yes, I, I want to put a corollary on to all the women that are watching. These two men come to the defense is to say that all these draconian laws are being effectuated by men, mostly men on a woman's yeah. body. And I, to put it bluntly, I think to, for all practical purposes, it's up to men to put some sense in men's 
brains that it's none of our damn business. Your thoughts on that? Well, look, I think um, we need everybody to get involved in this and understand the impacts that this is going to have on our communities. And, um, you know, as far as men speaking out for uh, on on behalf of people needing abortion care, we need we need people uh, of all types to stand up and say this is far too far. Um, this isn't going to do what they want it to do. And uh, this is really just going to create more harm for our communities. Now, Zach Gingrich Gaylord, thank you so kindly for thank representing you. Trust Women and for giving us your thoughts on the draconian law just passed in Texas. Yes, sir. You got it. We have the president of Houston Peace and Justice Center, Jeff Reese with us. Jeff, uh, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Egberto. Thank you for having me. And uh, I am a posse member, as you call it, I think. You are absolutely a PDR posse member. You are one of the greats, man. Let me just tell you that. But let me tell you something. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is that Houston Peace and Just- Justice Center uh, is at a point where we are looking to freshen up with new members. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Houston Peace and Justice Center is all about? Also tell it in, in the context that we've we've honored people not only locally, but nationally. So have at it. Egberto, I'm going to go backwards. That's that's the story of my life, pretty much. I have that. <laughs> uh, we are planning this year, uh, we are honoring the James Byrd family and the George Floyd families jointly and we're going to have a panel discussion and talk about actually lynching is, is uh, i also am a member of the um, precinct one uh, commissioner rodney ellis has a uh, remembrance project that um, calls into remembrance all the lynchings that have occurred from even now all the way back in the beginning of history and it's a sad sad legacy but it, it is uh, it is one that's there. And I think uh, um, Mr. Baldwin said it best. He says, before anything can be changed, it has to be faced. And uh, just because we face it doesn't mean, you know, it's going to be changed. But we have to face those things. Let me stop you right there, Jeff, because you just gave a prescient statement there. Um, you just said for us to change things, we have to face it. And that is something here in Texas and many other states that they're trying to avoid when they want to avoid uh, they're they're cloaking what teaching real history as you're trying to push critical race theory on people. I, I this is off subject, but you brought it up. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, there is no such thing as critical race theory in in, in theory, uh, if you will. There's only history, and and I think it's a it's a, a tr- um, I don't know. It's an, I guess not an example, but it's a sad state of affairs that we as a nation. And as a people are doing this and we're worried that we don't want to tell what really happened, which basically it all boils down to people are uncomfortable with what happened in the past and bringing up the lynching aspect. Uh, They don't like to confront the sad facts about ourselves. No one does. And it's very difficult. And we can go from here into white privilege, but we won't. I'm going to steer away from that. rabbit. Yeah. And in fact, great. Let's let's stick with HPJC. But I just want to tell one piece of this story for those people that are listening. Um, And that is I I think it's important for people not to think uh, evil. I think why a lot of people are worried about critical race theory is that somehow it's going to make it seem like, 
only white people can do bad things or uh, things of that nature. And what I, what I try to say is we need to tell the truth about history. The truth of the matter is every single human being, irrespective of race, rich really doesn't exist, has the propensity to do wrong. So what all we're doing when we're talking about history is telling about those in this, this frame of history that have done wrong. I just needed to get that out because people have that false sense like we're trying to pile on on, on, on one group of folk when the propensity to do wrong applies to everybody. We just have a particular issue in time. Please continue, my friend. No, brother, you pretty much nailed it down right there. And and the thing is, the pigmentation of your skin doesn't uh, 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 predicate you to uh, violence or nonviolence. It's what's in the heart that matters. And again, I'll say this, the Chinese, and I forgot who said it, he says the human race is one giant family. We are all one family, he says, but some of us don't treat the others as family members. <laughs> yes. I mean, what kind of person would enslave their parents or their brothers and sisters or their cousins? You wouldn't. When people commit a crime, usually for say robbery or something like that, they go they go to someone else. They don't really uh, harm the members of their immediate family. And I think this is it. And this is a, everything in a nutshell can be said with this, with police uh, brutality, with civil rights violation, with lynching. If you viewed that person you're about to harm as your immediate family member, you would be less likely to harm them. And it would be a lot di- more difficult to do that. And I think with critical race theory, it's, it's like pulling the scab off a wound. And and no one likes that. It's not. It's painful. You don't want to do it. But sometimes to make the wound heal, you have to. And it's not because someone was white that they were evil. They were evil because they were evil. And, exactly. And Exactly. Now, uh, let's let's get back to business on HPJC, Houston Peace and Justice Center. Um, First of all, you're you're articulating that we are supporting uh, the Bird family and the uh, George Floyd family and the Floyd family. Now, um, that is one thing that we're doing this year. Uh, It's been difficult because of the pandemic for organization like like ours to go and do the things that we normally do. But what what do we have in store under your tutelage as president of the Peace and Justice Peace and Justice Center? Oh, God. Well, we're talking about the blind leading the blind. Unfortunately, I, I really don't view myself as president. You know, that uh, our reason I became president was no one wanted it. But wait, let me let me stop you there, uh, Jeff, because the the reality is you've done a damn good job. You brought in uh, you've helped bring in grants and you've been really uh, trying to expand uh, how we uh, how we entertain different parts of the community. So I'm not going to let you get away uh, with that at all. The truth of the matter is that uh, you've been doing some very good work. So why don't you tell us about some of the things that we've accomplished? I mean, we just we, 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 we've been working with Univision. We've been working with other people. Tell us a little bit about that. that those, that's some great projects. Well, thank you, Egberto. We, we are trying. And I think that's the main thing. And the immediacy from going here to backwards. And, to, and I'll say there's a thing tonight is another press conference at the city hall and the li- public library, to be honest with you, or one of the organizations called Food Not Bombs. That's a member organization and who we hold money for. Um, you know, they have been forbidden to pass food out per city ordinance. And uh, we had a press conference yesterday at, at the, the reflection pool in front of City Hall. And then there was a the city council meeting. 
it, this was led by uh, Michael Kubosh, um, Paul Kubosh's brother, but he's a city councilman. Right. And Randall Kalanen. Randall uh, has calling for another press conference tonight because the people that show up today are supposed to be arrested just for feeding the homeless. And that's that's a that's an awful thing. Think of this where we live in today, that you can be arrested for helping another human being. I mean, we're not talking about crime. We're talking about assisting people that are down on their luck and maybe have nowhere else to go to eat. It's amazing because here it is that the state the state is in such a condition that we have the homeless, and for those attempting to help the homeless. They want to uh, they want to arrest them because it does something for the aesthetic. So you're working on uh, Houston Peace and Justice Center again under uh, some of what you're doing. You're working with um, the Foods Not Bomb uh, with a press conference this afternoon as they're going to feed some folks. What else are we doing? Uh, Just finished a bilingual peace camp in Mission Milby. And because of the pandemic, we had to limit it to one week. Um, so we did that. It was a it's a bilingual outreach. And so Peace Camp basically is a really, really big thing that needs to be expanded, because when we talk about crime, we talk about homelessness, we talk about so many different things. It begins when the children, it doesn't begin with us as adults. It's too late when we're grown. But while we're children, if we learn the techniques of nonviolence and compassion, then the child, in fact, the Bible says it's trained a child in the way he should go and he shall not depart out of it. Not to get biblical on anybody because uh, anybody knows me, I'm very irreligious. However, that's a true statement. So the peace camp Training the children should be where it's at, you know, for me and for everybody else with the Houston Peace and Justice Center. But we also support so many other different organizations. We help where we can. Um, unfortunately, we, we need more people. We need bodies and we need people willing to step up. In fact, um, I will be I'm term limited. My 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 term ends in November. We need some other people to come up here and, and hey, come be president. You'll have a great time. Trust me. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. Actually, like I said, I, I, they're, they're going to have some big shoes to fill whoever decides to take over the presidency of the Houston Peace and Justice Center. Well, what I said earlier on uh, is that uh, we need members. Uh, we are you, those of you that are listening are listening both on KPFT as well as over the Internet, YouTube, Facebook, everywhere. So we have a a huge base to tap from. How can uh, people who want to do positive things within this society, positive things within Houston, or even positive things that they can help us out remotely by being members and contributing financially to the Houston Peace and Justice Center. How can they become members? How can they work with us? Well, Alberto, just go to hbjc.org and through Action Network, you can sign up. And I do want to quickly divert to this rabbit hole and shout out to the Poor People's Campaign, because uh, some of us did go up there to Austin, to the Capitol, and rally against the voter suppression legislation that's going on. So my my deal here right now is present before I've already ends. I want to get as many people involved as possible. I, I met some really wonderful people from the Texas Advocates for Justice at the press conference. And uh, Diana Williams, if you're there, uh, it was nice to meet you. But we need to expand uh, and join together with as many organizations and as many people as possible. There's strength in numbers. And divided, we will be easily conquered. And uh, united, it'll be hard to stand against us. So there's so much going on in the world, Egberto, as you know, between critical race. Oh, you're, you're, you're on mute accidentally. There you go. 
Um, probably spam. I, I got a lot of anyway, but um, but yes, we need to join as many organizations together and as many people to get together and, and get on the same page because there's strength in numbers. And you know what? And, and that is, again, the Houston Peace and Justice Center does good work, honors a whole lot of people, both locally and nationally. It works very hard. By the way, you can go to HP. If you have an event in Houston or an event online, you don't have to be in Houston. You can go to hpjc.org. That is hpjc.org and go ahead and list your event. We we provide, the, we show your event on our website and on our our bi-monthly newsletter uh, many times your event will show to the people on our uh, mailing list please go to hpjc.org sign up to be on our mailing list as well as if you have the wherewithal become a member support uh, hpjc financially if you if you can but just uh, if you have two hands if you have a phone there there's so much you can do being a member of hpjc.org the houston peace and justice center and you don't have to be in houston you live in conroe you live in brenham you live wherever as long as you want to do good and and believe in what uh, we believe in and all in in much of what uh, Jeff Reese just spoke about the president of the organization then uh, join us hpjc.org uh, I tell you Jeff why don't you give us a closing statement here uh, to encourage folks to become a part of this group especially in a time that we need so much people working together against this system if you will well, there's a, a small quote from a Chinese philosopher and <clears throat> kind of sums it up. Uh, it, it goes like this. It says, love people until they are loving too. respect people until people are respectful too. be faithful to people until people are faithful too. this alone is a method for learning without stopping. And that's what we need to do. We need to keep learning and uh, we don't need to stop. We need to keep going and Hopefully, uh, the the message of peace and justice and nonviolence will uh, resonate with more and more people when they see what's going on and they'll take a stand. So thank you, Egberto, for having me on. I, I do appreciate it. You're, you're a good brother and a good friend. And uh, we really like your show. I think what you're doing is, is a great thing with the Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. I think ending with that statement that you just made. That's what everybody needs to try to live by. Jeff Reese, president of Houston Peace and Justice Center. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you, Egberto. I must admit to being very upset at both congressmen, uh, Peter Measure and Congressman Seth Moulton. Why? They, during this evacuation in uh, Afghanistan, two Congress people going out there wasting these guys time and that was my opinion to just go out there and and see for themselves i thought it was a publicity stunt and i thought they were going to go there and attempt to really go and uh, attack the administration for ending a war i i kind of looked at it as them being pawns of the defense industrial complex of course i didn't do any research to see who gives them money etc 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 but upon their return I think I've had to eat some of my words 
in that I think in as much as they didn't come back to defend the greatness of, um, of, of Biden leaving Afghanistan, which nobody, nobody is doing. Of course, we want him to leave Afghanistan. We're happy that we left Afghanistan. Uh, they did say that they think it could have been done differently. I beg to differ based on how wars work. And whether this had happened in May or whether this happened in October, there was going to be a rush on whatever airport, Bagram or the main airport. Because I tell you what, what they don't tell you, Bagram would have been getting people a far distance from Afghanistan, from Kabul to get them there. And all kinds of things could happen on the way there as well. So, I mean, everybody wants to be the quarterback after the fact. But that said, their response, I think, uh, when they came back, because of who they are, two uh, previous officers, and because the rhetoric that they came back with didn't seem uh, a defense of Biden or a aggressive attack on Biden. It simply said, under these situations, we just couldn't see any other options. I want you to take a look at this and then we'll take it on the other side. Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts and Peter Meyer of Michigan, both Iraq war veterans, have been sharply criticized since their return by the Biden administration, the Pentagon and their own colleagues in Congress for their unannounced trip to Kabul last Tuesday. They say it was an attempt to get answers that they're not getting from the Biden administration. And they came back with a much different view of things, they say. Congressman Democrat Seth Moulton and Republican Peter Meyer uh, join us uh, now. Uh, before we get to what you saw and learned, uh, Congressman Moulton, let me start with you. Congressman Moulton, 11 of the 13 Americans killed in Thursday's attack were Marines. You're a retired Marine captain. Uh, President Biden's defenders, uh, as you heard Jake Sullivan earlier in the show, uh, they say this exit was always going to be chaotic. There was always going to be the risk of loss of life, including American lives. And do you agree? And how much of what happened Thursday do you think is the result of bad planning as, a, as opposed to just trying to get out of a war? Congressman Meyer, uh, you and Congressman Moulton both went to Kabul thinking that the August 31st deadline needs to be extended. Um, but what you saw there changed your mind. Why? What changed your mind? We realized that we did not have that leverage. We were wholly dependent on the cooperation of the Taliban. It's a position we should have never been in. It's an absurd scenario. It's an upside down world that is not lost on any of the folks on the ground. Uh, but just the fact of how vulnerable our forces were, not only against um, uh, ISIS and Khorasan, as we saw with the attack on Abiy Gate on Thursday, but just the way in which we had to work with the Taliban just meters apart from one another, we did not have an option. If it came down to an urban conflict, urban combat scenario, you are talking about a multiplied casualty count. You are talking about grave civilian harm. And you're also talking about the fact that we would not be able to get our Afghan allies and American citizens who are trapped in Afghanistan. We wouldn't even be able to get them into the airport. So we are not in a good scenario, bad scenario. This is the least worst of the options that are before us. But we should have never been in this position in the first place. Uh, Congressman Meyer, I'll start with you. Was the war in Afghanistan worth it, worth the cost, the American lives, the Afghan lives, the $2 trillion? Was it worth it? I think it's impossible to sit here today and, and say yes, knowing what we know, knowing what we saw. 
I mean, we've seen some of the best of the American people, especially in the last two weeks, some of the best of our troops on the ground and the heroic way they're carrying out this mission. But we've also seen some of the worst of American leadership. And if you draw this over the past two decades, at any one year, you could say, what is our mission there? And you'd get a different answer from the other 19. I mean, we should have never... There needs to be unsparing accountability. We should have never put our American men and women in this position. And we need to realign our strategic and operational priorities to ensure that it never happens again. This is a failure upon failure. Congressman Moulton? I mean, Peter's right. It's failure upon failure. And the one way I could only imagine this going worse is if it had happened under Trump with the May 1st deadline even earlier. And he probably wouldn't have had any effort to evacuate our allies because he's so anti, anti-immigrant. I mean, there was no airlift after he retreated from, from Syria. But the point is that this has been the failure of multiple administrations. But let's not forget in all of this uh, what this says about us as a people. Uh, one thing that Peter and I are so committed to is telling the story of those brave Americans, not only servicemen and women, but consular officials at the gates, at Abbey Gate, literally saving thousands of lives. That represents the absolute best of America. And that's a story that every everybody in the world and every single American needs to hear. And I tell you, you did you hear that unfortunate truth? The unfortunate truth that, yes, the Afghanistan war was not worth it. Yes, August 31st, was likely the best time for us to leave, given the current circumstances. Yes, maybe things could have been done better. But as I said before, that is very unlikely for any any occupier that is leaving. To put it bluntly, the fact that they got out of Afghanistan without any major... Look, the 13 heroes that perished... Supreme being, bless them. Uh, it, it, it hurts every time I, I, I think about it because I remember uh, that statement that Kerry said in Congress several decades ago. Something about the last to die for a war that shouldn't have been. And that's how I feel about those 13. But unfortunately, that is exactly what it took to save thousands of lives, thousands of American lives, thousands of Afghans' lives. Meyer and Moulton, uh, apologies, but you did a great job. We have a very special guest, Cristina Sinsun Ramirez, is with us today. Christina is a civil rights leader, former Senate candidate, author, and community organizer, forging a better future for all Americans. Christina is the executive director of Next Gen America and previously founded and led two of Texas's largest voting and civil rights organizations, specifically JOLT, a Texas-wide organization focused on energizing the Latino vote and workers' defense project, WDP, when in the passage of local and state laws protecting the rights of hundreds of thousands of workers. Christina, welcome to Politics Unright. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Glad to be here with you. 
Well, look, uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much for, for doing this. You've been doing a hell of a lot of work to make sure that somehow 2022 become what 2022 needs to be. So before we get into next gen, et cetera, I want to ask you a few questions about the voting bills in Texas. H1, or rather H3S1, um, what are your thoughts? How is this going to affect us here in Texas? I mean, what we saw in 2020 and every election is that Texas is going from one of the lowest voter turnout states to really skyrocketing and especially with younger voters. And so these bills are designed. They are the same old tools of poll taxes and literacy tests repackaged with the same purpose, which is to deny communities of color the right to vote. And now with the new census data out, that is the majority of the Texas population that they are trying to stop and suppress our voice and vote from having an equal say in the state that we help make up in every single way, economically, politically, in its future and composition. Now, luckily, the Dem- the Democratic House or quite a few people in the Democratic House, they went to D.C. for about a month. They forced the, the session to close without a bill uh, when the governor opened up again. We had a few what I call defectors. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Should they have held out a bit longer? What what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what I'm grateful for is the fact that the Democratic delegation and I know there was a debate about what is which there should be. What is the right thing to do in this moment? And they had the courage to say, if our democracy isn't working, if people can't equally and efficiently and effectively access the right to vote, then it is our job to do everything we can to defend democracy for everyone. And so we all know they fled to Washington, not fled, but they went to Washington. And I want to see our federal legislators show that same courage of conviction and pass the voting rights bills that are before uh, our Congress and Senate to make sure that everyone can vote. We have some people that came back um, ultimately, though, we know that our governor, Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick, they're happy to have special session after special session just today uh, on the uh, during the debates happening on these bills. They tried to ban the word of the use racist and racism to describe what is happening. They wouldn't even want our legislators, our legislators, especially of color, to be able to call out what was happening. I mean, that is how insane and racist uh, right now what we're seeing happen in Texas. And it may be 2021, but in Texas, if you're a person of color, it sure does feel like 1951. Well, you know, I I find it ironic that uh, here we, we talk about truth a whole lot. And what they're trying to do is create revisionist history from the January 6th revisionist history to the to the initial sin of this country. We're trying to have people forget about it or make believe it just didn't happen. Now, a question here, um, uh, Mr. Ramirez, can we uh, can we organize ourselves out of what Texas has done or is going to do? I mean, first off. I think that there are things that can happen at the federal level that Congress and the Senate can do to pass legislation to protect every single American's right to vote. That being said, I'm sure it's not lost as you and me, as people of color living in the South, living in the most difficult state to vote in in the entire country, that to even have the basic rights that we have right now, it took people 
organizing, mobilizing, and even dying in terrible, difficult, dangerous circumstances to be able to do that basic function of voting. So that was one with hard fought work and lives uh, in this country. And so I think we're all reticent that we aren't wanting to go backwards. And at the same time, it took federal action, even with all the organizing that happened on the ground in the South during the civil rights movement, ultimately to enshrine those rights that people were organizing for. So we are going to organize. We are going to register voters. We are going to mobilize and say this is our state, our country, as much as it is anyone else's. But ultimately, communities of color, we can't depend on our courts in Texas. We can't depend on our governor, our indicted criminal attorney general (laughs) to defend our right. We need federal action to protect our most basic right to vote in this state because it has always been undermined since this state became a state. Now, interestingly, uh, the I think a, a couple of days ago, we've got the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill passed H.R. 4 in Congress, not the Senate, and the For the People Act, uh, or rather, and we're hoping that the For the People Act would pass as well as one in the Senate. What's your pro- what, what do you believe the prospects are that we can actually get the two? We call them the two stragglers in the Senate to actually break from the filibuster. But we all know that they are just cover for probably or likely several other senators that may not want to even have a carve out for the filibuster. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that's why it's so important that the Democratic delegation from Texas went up and met with Senate leaders, especially Manchin and Sinema, and said, look, this is what we're facing. You for the idea of holding up bipartisanship with a party that has literally supported the killing of democracy on the House floor or refused to stand up for even hearing and and actually looking at the ramifications of the January 6th uh, uh, action and insurrection. And but at that same cost is millions and millions of Americans having barrier after barrier, uh, longer lines, longer and more difficult pathways to voting. The, the data is very clear that it is takes a longer amount of time. It is more difficult, more arduous, less ability, less efficiency to vote if you are black or brown in this country. And um that is, I'm hopeful that especially on the John Lewis Act, that there is some movement with Manchin, um, but we need to keep putting pressure on uh, the the two stragglers in the Senate to do the most basic thing. Like if our democracy doesn't work and Americans can't vote, then we can't pass anything. And bipartisanship in that sense is dead. Now, Christina, there, there are some people that are going through a sense of dread right now. I mean, I'm going to tie this into, let's say, the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill and the human infrastructure bill. They believe that if we cannot uh, that if we cannot get that done and we cannot get the voter voter rights done, that pretty much it's it's over with for any part of this progressive movement to succeed, especially what is likely to occur uh, with with um, again with losing all more state houses and losing likely the House and the Senate. Your thoughts? I mean, I don't think the progressive movement is decided by one election. I think it's decided over time. We have come a long way in this country. Um, 
the infrastructure bill is it, it I wish it had the full name of what it means. It is it is a bill that will tackle the greatest problem our our country and planet faces, which is climate change. It will create millions of good green jobs. It will give working and middle class families the ability to care for their children. It is transformative in every single way that working and middle class families need. Now, it is it is also transformative for big oil and fossil fuel executives that want to stand in the way in progress and the politicians that they own and control. Um, And so I am hopeful that we're going to continue to see movement on it. But I think sometimes we forget as progressives how far we've come. Um, It is no longer a crazy idea to say people that work full time should make a living wage. No one in this country should live in poverty. It is not a crazy idea to say tax the rich their full fair share for the wealth that we help produce for all of them as well. It is not a crazy or wild thing to say anymore that we should not be locking up people uh, at such disproportionate rates that are communities of color that we need to reform our criminal justice system. And it is not a wild or crazy thing to say today that college should be affordable and accessible to every single American. And hopefully we're going to get to that place, too, where we're actually canceling the student debt that is burdening millions and millions of people instead of giving them the opportunity to start new businesses or buy a home um, or not just be burdened with uh, debt um, that millions of young and you know middle-aged people are in this country at this point. Now, Cristina, everything that you just said sounded beautiful. And not only did it sound beautiful, but I mean, it didn't sound like something that only progressives would want. It didn't sound like something only Democrats would want. Uh, Recently on my show, I've been telling people that it concerns me that many of us don't go to Brenham, Texas, Yoakum, Texas, and all these other places where these problems are would solve more of their problems than ours. Why? How are we missing the boat? And you are running as uh, you are going to be the senator of Texas. You are running to be the senator of the entire Texas. How can Christina, in whatever other statewide mission she goes on, how can you tell that message to everyone who needs to hear it? Because it's a winning message. I mean, the truth is that the vast majority of Americans agree on a lot of the problems and a lot of what they want to see, right? It, most Americans believe that if you're sick, you should be able to go to the doctor and not have to worry about how much it's going to cost you. Um, most Americans agree that you should be able to be educated and want great schools for our children. Most Americans agree, regardless of party affiliation, that the minimum wage is way too low and $15 an hour is the minimum it should be. And most Americans agree that the ultra-rich and billionaires do not pay their fair share and they have rigged the economy and political system to their own benefit. Um, So I think we win when we speak to that truth and that pain, because there is real economic pain. You know, thinking before COVID that 60% of Americans didn't have more than $1,000 in savings. Um, I mean, that is obscene that 
so many people live on the margins in our country and that politicians don't speak to that pain. So I am, I don't think that these ideas about wanting to care for our children and neighbors and family and friends are things that people, regardless of affiliation, I think do agree with. Um, I guess I would, I would tell one story just really quickly, just two stories of two Texans that I think about that, um, there was the dreamer in, um, the hurricane Harvey that happened, hurricane Harvey that happened in Houston, Alonso Guillen that went out and rescued neighbors. People didn't, he didn't even know. And he died in the process trying to rescue neighbors. And then I think of Tremaine Brown in Amarillo, Texas, that owns this little one room barbecue joint. And during COVID he has given out, I think it's something like a hundred thousand meals to other people that needed food and care from their neighbors during COVID-19. And I think we, as a country, as a people, we really honor and admire their individual acts of courage. But I think, what if those weren't individual acts of courage? What if that was how our government cared for us? At the end of the day, I think all we're asking is that our government care for us, just like we would care for any neighbor or person that we saw in need and need. And I think our government can do that for us. We just have politicians, especially that have been bought up by billionaires within the Republican party that don't want uh, government to care for us. And the last thing I'll say is I'm a progressive. I do not think Democrats are perfect by any means. I just look at the other side that doesn't want to pay for anything that will take care of our kids, our health, our environment and community in the working class. And that's no party for me. The Democrats, I feel like I can move and push and we've proven that we can push them, but they are by no means perfect. You know, Christina, what we have, as I see it, is a, is a system where we try to detach the government from we the people so that we can feel that that is some entity aside. So when you talk about you want your government to care about you, you're also talking about we care about each other. So given that we, the people, represents, uh, represent our government, that is how government should operate, but exactly how it's not operating because of those uh, who control it. Um, let's move on to uh, something great that you're doing, Next Gen America. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Next Gen America is the largest voting rights organization for young people in American history. Last election, we are proud that we helped mobilize one in nine young voters that turned out and that we had the highest youth voter turnout in the entire country. Um, we have been around for since 2014, talking and moving and mobilizing young people by the millions. You know, we believe that young people, that when they exercise their power, that we have the courage and imagination as a country to tackle the biggest problems we face. And young people are inheriting a democracy in decline, grotesque income inequality, and a climate catastrophe. And that ultimately what young people are seeking is not just to make change on the margins, they're trying to change the status quo of this country. And now that young people make up the largest, most diverse and progressive voting bloc in American history, I'm proud to be leading the organization that does it, that does it uh, bigger and uh, to more effect than any other organization in the country. But ultimately, what we want to do is solve the biggest problems that our country faces. And I think you do that with the voting power of young people. 
Now, um, young people, I, I speak to a lot of young people from millennials all the way down. And one of the problems that I've been hearing a whole lot is this sort of an apathy that they, that they feel. I cannot make a difference. Having an organization like NextGen, uh, which, I, 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 which is there as an empowering resource, I think is very important. Uh, what are you doing specifically to extend your tentacles into more areas? What we find many times is that... Um, we get all these organizations that operate in the centers of power, uh, the big cities, etc. Earlier on, I mentioned about us going to Yoakum, Texas, and Brenham, Texas, and Giddens, Texas, and I'm I'm Texas centric. This is a national program, so let's say Timbuktu, North Dakota. What are we doing to actually extend there? Because I mean, that's where a whole lot of people also feel that they have no hope. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm really glad at next gen in places like Arizona, we're and in Michigan, we're in the rural places too. We're in places where a lot of times they're not going to be touched by an organization or a campaign. And you mentioned earlier when the issues of, for example, healthcare, when you talk about people not having healthcare access, if you live in a rural uh, community, you often have to travel, like there's not a hospital or good healthcare nearby. So when you talk about expanding access to healthcare, we absolutely have to think about how that impacts people in rural communities. When you talk about raising the living wage and creating basic things like internet access for every single American, because at this point, internet access should be considered uh, as as much as we would invest in electricity or a water utility. Community, it is a should be a utility, and so. We absolutely have to reach and invest in those communities. And then next gen, we've done that for a long time, making sure that we're not just urban, but we're urban and rural, that we're in black communities, white communities, Latino and AAPI communities, because ultimately we're trying to reorient our government and country to serve all of us. And that means being able to serve people in the major metros, the suburbs and rural communities that are often forgotten um, and not invested in or supported. That is excellent and needed. Um, look, we're coming up close on time and I have about two more questions that I want to get to. Uh, one is your thoughts on how we're handling COVID in Texas. And I know, what, what are your thoughts? Um, it is, you know, I think a lot of us know people that have died from COVID or been sick from COVID. Um, the day it was announced that Governor Abbott had COVID, you know, I thought about like, I, I'm glad to hear he's doing well and that he has the best access to healthcare, and and that his 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 family that loves him can is safe with him now. And at the same time, I thought about the millions of people in our state that have been exposed and put at risk, including my four year old little boy that that same day that he got covid went to public school in Austin and I got to know that he was as safe as he could be because my school district and my local leaders defied our governor's order and required everyone to wear a mask. Because while Greg Abbott's family deserves to know that he's safe and having good health care and being protected as best he can, I want the same thing for my child, even and I want the same thing for him, even if he doesn't want it for my own four year old little boy. Okay, I have two more questions. If I'm going to give you both of them so that you can think on one. The last question I always ask is, what didn't I ask you that you wanted me to ask you? But before that, tell me a little bit about your political prospects going forward. 
My poli- I have no political prospects going forward, but to lead next gen and mobilize millions of young people to transform our democracy and our economy. That's number one priority. And being Santi's mom, my son, that's it. Um, and then um, the question you didn't ask me is how people can volunteer for next gen. So the other great thing that we do at next gen is we have volunteers all over the country. Um, we have one of the largest distributed volunteer teams, which means you can volunteer anywhere from a coffee shop, from your kitchen, from your bedroom, wherever that is. And people can volunteer at nextgenamerica.org and sign up and be part of our 25,000 volunteer um, team that we're growing to 40,000 no matter where they are. So we hope that they'll join. Cristina Sinsun Ramirez. Executive Director of NextGen America. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thanks so much for having me and for doing the show. Again, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. 90.1 FM, Houston. They can listen as well at kpft.org. They can contribute to us at kpft.org. They can call us at 713-526-5738, but it's at kpft.org. Folks, we are at the end of the program. I hope you enjoyed what we had to offer. We will continue to give you fresh data, fresh programming every single week from Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage.